The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, everybody. For those of you that follow PR and news, you know that it's been quite the turbulent time in terms of crisis management and people managing all kinds of horrors and misspeaking and not handling things right from Toyota to Tiger to um, SeaWorld, etc. And today we have um, a crisis management professional by the name of Kobe King, and he's a Senior Vice President and General Manager with MWW Public Relations. Welcome, Kobe. Kobe, if you are there, I can't hear you. Stand by. Cindy? Yes, Kobe, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know where you were. I gave you a stellar introduction. Did you hear me? I did, actually. I heard it all, and uh, I want to thank you for that, and it's great to be on your show. It's great to have you. It has been quite the turbulent time, hasn't it been? It, it really has. I mean, for, for crisis managers um, who do this for a living, it's, it's been an absolutely fascinating uh, real-world laboratory to uh, to see how badly uh, companies can screw these things up. Well, they really, really can. Let's talk about um, a few current examples, and then you could add some experiences. Again, we don't want you to give away, you know, um, client information that might get you into trouble, but I'm sure that you have some interesting stories and solutions and suggestions and how some of the current news may have been handled differently. Um, let's talk about Tiger, shall we? Let's start with that, even though it's sort of the crisis sort of had come to its peak in a wave and now it's receding a tiny bit. Let's talk about that for a second. Um, did he really, really screw it up for himself when he disappeared for a while after the news broke? Well, you know, Tiger, Tiger's situation is a, is a really fascinating one because he, of course, isn't technically a corporation. He's just a person. Um, and, and so because of that, it's sometimes a very, very difficult for people who are kind of in this of the moment, to separate themselves and separate their, uh, their own family priorities from maybe their corporate priorities. Uh, uh, Tiger, of course, uh, was probably the most recognizable athlete in the world, and so his, um, his standing as a world-class athlete uh, was, uh, I think for him, he just found it very difficult to uh, try to put those interests ahead of his family interests. So, I mean, from a strict uh, crisis communications point of view, yeah, he probably, uh, he probably, I mean, there's no doubt that by being so incommunicative, by not answering questions, by, uh, by attempting to maintain this level of privacy that was probably, uh, unrealistic, yeah, he did screw up. But 
you know, at the same time, uh, these are extremely personal things, and uh, sometimes in a crisis situation, uh, no matter what you know to be the, uh, the the correct policy to pursue professionally, sometimes you just have to respect that somebody just doesn't want to talk to the media. You, yes, you do have to. I, I guess people have to respect that. But even though Tiger's an individual, there's a lot of money invested in him. So I think that even if Tiger... Um, you know, didn't want to address the media immediately. His professionals really should have gotten in front of him and figured out something else rather than silence. Well, I, I completely agree. And one of the uh, things that you see over and over again, and I, and I think that um, in many ways uh, there are parallels to the Toyota situation, is that the client has to be willing to come clean and has to be willing to uh, to, come, to lay all the cards out on the table because it's, you know, one of the things that you always want to avoid in a crisis situation, and Cynthia, I know you know this, is the kind of the drip, drip, drip of additional allegations coming out, because all that does is feed the story, and it puts, in, it puts into question uh, your credibility. And in a crisis situation, one of the first things you want to do is establish credibility, because then, you've, then, then you, you kind of turn the media a little bit. And if you don't have a client that's willing to do that, then it makes it very difficult on everybody. And, and I also, to your point about uh, a lot of money being involved, it's absolutely true. I mean, Tiger is not an entity unto himself. The GA Tour, uh, in many ways, uh, rises and falls on his fortunes. And obviously, all the uh, sponsorships and relationships he had, I mean, these people, in addition to his family, also felt pretty let down. No, I, I think that's very, very true. And as a crisis management expert yourself, I think that you would agree that we have to sort of be take the responsibility for our clients and be strong enough to sometimes have our clients see the light. And I know that I frequently talk about many examples with you, Hefner, since I worked with Playboy for 16 years and worked very, very closely with him. And if he wasn't willing to talk about something, sometimes I would have to wait in his lobby, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning and kind of shake him into seeing the urgency of how something had to be done. And I think that it, we sort of have the responsibility of sometimes letting our clients see, making our clients see what the world is interpreting in order to save their businesses and their brands. I, I think that's exactly right. And I, and I think that that's, it, it's one of the aspects of the work that we do that I think is often not appreciated. I mean, I think a, a lot of times... Uh, the outside world may see uh, crisis communications managers or, or PR experts as, uh, as people who are just taking what their clients are saying and putting it into, uh, and putting it into the best possible light. But in fact, um, a lot of what we uh, do involves uh, actually counseling and, and drawing people out and giving our clients the confidence that they have to, uh, to come clean. Because again, uh, the only way you can get ahead of these things is by uh, is by doing so because uh, with the way that the uh, the media are today and the, uh, the paparazzi culture that we find ourselves in and and just the um, uh, just the availability of all kinds of public sources of information it's just unrealistic for anybody to think that they can keep damaging information private anymore it's um, it you know in, in that respect I think that's one of the things that has changed over the last twenty or thirty years is that uh, the media are so much better at ferreting out things that you don't want to, uh, that, that you'd rather they didn't find out about. And so because of that, 
you really have to change the client's mindset about um, how they're going to deal with an unpleasant situation. And exactly right. I think even more, not just over the last 20 or 30 years, I think it's really over the last three to five years because of the culmination um, of, because of the culmination of traditional media, the end of it as we knew it, and the beginning of, um, of, online media like Twitter and social media sites, news cycles have become 24-7, and there's really no escaping. There's no regionalization. Anything that happens, happens at the moment, and it happens around the world 24-7 with immediacy, and therefore people really have to change the way that they're thinking in terms of news immediacy. It can't be contained as easily anymore. No, I think that's right, and and I think that it's also important to understand that because of the uh, shortening of the news cycle to basically zero, um, there is, there always was, I mean, you just go back to the paper chase and a variety of other dramatizations of how the press works. You know, there's always been a, uh, a premium on the scoop, but today, um, the, uh, you know, where, where maybe in, in, in previous times you could take a little bit of time to develop the story, there is so much pressure on everybody and the stakes are so high and there's so much money involved that every, uh, uh, well, I hesitate to use the word journalist, but people who are working in this area perhaps uh, might be a better term. There's so much pressure to get the information first, to get it on your outlet, whatever that happens to be. And, and so uh, the, um, let's, let's just say that some of the uh, cultural mores in journalism that used to prevent people from going with a story that was premature had been fading rather quickly. And so that just puts so much pressure on uh, the folks who are doing what we do. Oh, it really, really does. And, again, we have to have a familiarity with social media and advise our clients how it works very frequently. And MWW has a lot of large accounts that I'm sure um, you had to probably go through an education process with a lot of clients about how the news landscape has changed. Oh, absolutely. Um, A number of clients who you know, continue to hope and pray that uh, that they don't have to get into the social media uh, sphere. But uh, at MWW, one of the things that, that, that we've done, and, and this is, you know, I think something that you're seeing more and more across the PR industry, is that instead of having, say, a separate division to work with social media, what you've got uh, within the company is a few folks who are particularly expert on the ins and outs, but every PR professional has to be uh, really cognizant of both of the techniques that you use in in, um, in social media and not only the power but also the vulnerabilities that comes from the new media landscape. And, uh, you, you know, we've got a number of clients who are, uh, you know, who, who have done what they've done from a business point of view very well for many, many years and getting them to adapt to social media I think it's partly... Um, I think there's a couple of things. One is you have to let them know that, look, you, you really don't have a choice. Either, um, either you're going to be a part of it or it's going to be a part of you. And by uh, one of the things that we say over and over to clients is that when it comes to Facebook or Twitter or those sort of things, you really kind of want to make sure that, that, that if there's going to be a conversation about your company, it's happening on your turf or, or as much as possible. And if you don't establish these channels of communication, then others will. And when something bad happens, you'll have absolutely, you'll have much less leverage in terms of being able to manage the story. 
I think that's a really good point. The other thing, and to that point, related to that point, there are a lot of PR people out there, quote-unquote PR people, who are really just social media people, and they really don't understand traditional PR and how traditional press works, and they are going around selling their services that they're PR people. I think that that's a disaster. <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely right, because, you know, social media is, what it really is, is it's not, it's, Yes, it's, it's changed the game to a certain extent, but the fundamental principles of good public relations, crisis communications, issues management, reputation management, those fundamental principles haven't changed. It's just that social media is a new way of people communicating with each other, and it's, a new, it's both a new tool that needs to be managed, and it's also just a new avenue of, uh, of these various issues and crises to crop up. And and, and again, uh, just because you know how to post something to a Facebook page doesn't mean that you're a crisis manager. No, exactly right. Thank you for reiterating that. I think that's really true. Let's talk about Toyota for a second. Um, you know, that, you know, Tiger, you mentioned it's, you know, as much as he was a business, you know, he was an individual, so it was, um, you know, sort of special because it was highly personal. Toyota. Um, you have a lot of stuff going on here. I mean, you and I know that there's cultural differences, and that was probably a very, very difficult thing to contend with, particularly here in the United States, because people in Asia, business people in Asia, don't have the same kind of um, interpretation of how the media reads business situations. They really culturally don't have an understanding of the urgency of responding to the press in the Western world sometimes. They see it as something that just circles around them in the Asian community, um, respect for, for self and family, and that comes first and foremost. And therefore, sometimes we often see that Asian business leaders are very, very hesitant to you know, admit a mistake publicly and will do everything they can to avoid it, um, making just sort of um, saving face the priority, and I think what Toyota learned, particularly in this generation of family, is that it doesn't, you can't handle business that way on a worldwide scale. No, I think, I think you're exactly right, and I do actually think that the reaction in the Japanese media in particular to the reaction in the United States toward Toyota's troubles has been one of the most fascinating and instructive aspects of this whole situation. Um, the, um, I, I think, Cindy, that to a certain extent what you're saying when you talk about saving face and all that sort of thing is that corporations, it seems to me, are more... Um, are more personal in Asia than they are here. I mean, here in the United States, yes, we would love to drag these corporate chieftains uh, in front of Congress and in front of legislative committees and, and grill them and, and uh, put them on the spotlight on 60 Minutes and all that. Uh, but the bottom line is that we see corporations as corporations. And in Asia, it seems like not only are things more personal, but they're also wrapped up with national identity. And so I think they're, you know, reading in Asia about how uh, the congressional hearings are a conspiracy to um, to tear down Toyota in order to build Ford and GM back up. I mean, to American ears, it just doesn't make any sense. But from Asian ears, it, it actually does make a great deal of sense. And so I think that disconnect um, also tends to feed into how 
um, Asian corporate executives approach the media. They, they don't see and, and, and approach these kinds of situations. They don't see the media, I think, as much of an adversary uh, as, as it is in the United States. Uh, so I, I think that's been a, a pretty uh, fascinating aspect. It has been. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll come back until 8 o'clock. You have been really giving us some great commentary. This is um, Kobe King from MWW, Worldwide Public Relations Agency that excels greatly in crisis management. So stand by, and after this commercial, we'll talk a little bit more. Thank you, Kobe, and stand by. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com Money. We love it, we hate it, and everything in between. You can be the master of your life and your own economics. Join Professor Laurie Lamantia each week for the program Making Peace with Money. Laurie will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness. You'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life. Making Peace with Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not. But she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Thank you, everybody, and welcome back. We're here with Kobe King, who's a crisis management expert on a worldwide level working with MWW Public Relations. Kobe, we were talking about 
Toyota, and we were talking about cultural differences. Is there anything you wanted to pick up from where we left off? Well, I, I, I think that the other thing I wanted to say about the Toyota situation is it, it appears to me, as someone who's followed the coverage from the very beginning, that the story is far, far from over. Um, you know, I, I, the LA Times reported uh, what seems ages ago now on uh, problems in the uh, the software in the uh, in the cars, and it, it it appears to me that that Toyota has still not decided internally whether or not uh, the problems do go beyond strictly mechanical sources, or if there is something that's deeper and potentially more threatening to uh, to the company. So, uh, I mean, it. As you know, Cindy, it's just really, really difficult to work with a client on crisis management if they can't get their own story straight internally. And I think that's something that still that still remains to be played out. Yeah, but if you're a great crisis management person, again, we go back to how strong is a crisis management person and sometimes how they are wrongly underestimated in what they really should do, a strong crisis management person in this day and age should be able to cross cultural lines um, and be able to really play out in a chronological way, um, you know, the internal story and really forcing the people behind the story to understand that the chronology is urgent for worldwide interpretation. And I maybe I'm over-glorifying what we do, Kobe, but I find that, it, you know, you a crisis management person really has to be able to have that ability to whip their client into shape. No, it's, it's true. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I often uh, uh, counsel uh, young uh, uh, you know, PR people is that um, you know we're often in situations where um, you've got the lawyers kind of giving some some advice, and you've got the PR people giving other advice, and uh, CEOs and, and other top managers uh, sometimes I think overvalue uh, the uh, the legal advice because they're so afraid of liability. But you know, one of the things that I often tell folks is that look, you've got to persuade that CEO that, uh, you know, liability is one thing, but if your brand is destroyed because you're not communicating properly, uh, the, the liability losses are going to pale in comparison to your sales losses and to your loss of reputation, which is, which is um, in, in min- well, nothing's immeasurable, but, but can have a very devastating effect. And I think that's what's happening here with Toyota. They're so, uh, or could be happening, they're so afraid of some of the liability issues of, of really speaking forthrightly on some of these potentially deeper issues that, uh, that, that the credibility that they had built up so carefully over so many decades is melting away in just a, uh, in, in just a very short period of time. And, and, and it's sad in a way. No, I think it's true. And again, I have such respect for what you do. And when I, when I try to talk about the importance of what we do, I know you do it really, really, really well. And a part of it is um, a crisis management's ability to be able to work very, very closely with people in the legal community so that the legal community really trusts the crisis management person and understands that what is, what is litigated in a court of law um, has to complement and work in tandem with what the public messages are. Uh, that's exactly right. And, you know, I don't want to be too critical of lawyers because, after all, as I think you know, I practiced law for seven years. Um, and so I understand where the lawyers are coming from. I mean, they have a job to do. But I think what's really important is to communicate both to the decision makers and the policy makers at the client and also to the lawyers themselves that working together 
working together on messaging that is both uh, positive for the company, that manages the crisis, and protects the company from liability is not only possible, it's absolutely mandatory. You cannot have an effective strategy without both sides of the table being in agreement on how to move forward. No, I, that's absolutely true. And before we come to the end of the show, you know, the other crisis, listen, Chile was a big crisis, but I, I think that's like so big and so recent that I don't even know if I had a moment to interpret it. But um, I want to just talk quickly about SeaWorld for a second. Um, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm still trying to process everything that's happened over the last week, and there's been so much. Um, I think with SeaWorld, you know, I, I have to kind of applaud them because they did respond to the press, you know, fairly quickly with an organized press conference 24 hours after the, you know, after the um, crisis. Um, you know, but the problem, the, the question that I still have for SeaWorld is, you know, when they knew that this particular killer whale had a history of not really gelling with people. I mean, animals in general, are they're not anthropomorphic. I mean, they're, they're animals. So, but this whale in particular had a history of, you know, sort of killing people. I mean, didn't, you know, didn't really go well with humans, whereas other whales, you know, didn't have this history. So, you know, what went wrong in allowing this particular whale um, to interact with a trainer? Well, I mean, I, I think that's one of those questions that, you know, to a certain extent, really the, the job of the PR manager is to try to explain and put into context uh, the actions of the corporation. I mean, obviously, uh, when, when you get into these situations, risk management is what it's all about. Uh, you know, kind of looking over at the um, uh, at some of the coverage that I've seen, I believe that the... Uh, that, that the other time that this whale killed somebody was more than 10 years ago. Uh, and in, in a, uh, at British Columbia, you know, training methods had been, had been put into place. And I understand from SeaWorld's point of view that they thought that this whale was just a really important part of the kind of whale um, uh, culture that they had going on at that particular park. But, uh, I mean, obviously you've got to take a look at the downside to allowing a potentially dangerous animal uh, to, uh, to, to, uh, continue to, uh, to live and work at, uh, in that environment. And especially when you've got a situation where, uh, you could have a public witnessing this, uh, absolutely horrific accident and, and tragedy. So, I mean, it's, 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 I, I mean, I tend to agree with you. I think SeaWorld kind of did the best they could with the situation, uh, but that they still have some management decisions both to explain as to why they made certain decisions in the past and and how they're going to move forward. And I think that on both of those counts, uh, there's still a lot more questions than there are answers. Oh, and I, I think you're exactly right. It's in the in the SeaWorld case, you know, from a PR from a PR response um, level, you know, I would I, I would have to give them decent grades from a PR response level. And you know, and that's really when I'm comparing it to Toyota or Tiger, because there there was a long lapse of PR response in the previous two. However, from an actual from a situational level, you're right. Management wise, um, the chronology probably wasn't put in order as much as it should have been um, to get to 
you know, when it got to response level time, um, I think a lot of mistakes were made. Yeah, I, I agree with you. At the same time, uh, you could tell, I think, from their response that they did one of the that they had done one of the things that um, that uh, crisis professionals uh, are constantly not only counseling clients but pleading with them to get done, and that is to have a communications plan in place prior to a disaster happening. Uh, I mean, as you know, um, while while kind of being in the crisis itself is uh, the crucible in a way, and you find out how your crisis managers really perform under stress. But the truth of the matter is that the most of the work that prepares you for performing well when the crisis actually happens is happening in the weeks and months and even years prior to that crisis, crisis happening by insisting on strong planning, uh, by insisting on protocols, by insisting on a variety of tactics and strategies that allow you to, uh, to, to perform your job when the crisis finally happens. And I, and I, I do think that SeaWorld, um, it, it seemed to me from watching it unfold that they had done a pretty good job of planning for these kinds of incidents. Okay. No, and I think that you're very right in terms of crisis management planning. It is like insurance. People have to buy, you know, corporations do have to buy, you know, all kinds of insurance. Crisis management is really one of those, in, it, it's an insurance issue. It could really save your company if you plan out the risk correctly from a communication standpoint. That, that's absolutely correct, and it's, it's something that I think most clients understand, uh, but, uh, but some, uh, you know, getting the attention of the CEO to do this sort of stuff is, is not always the easiest thing in the world to do, which goes back once again to uh, a point that we've made a couple of times in the show, and that is that uh, the, um, one of the uh, necessary functions of the crisis manager is to continue to develop that relationship with the policymakers and decision makers in the company so that the things that the crisis manager knows needs to get done actually do get done. No, exactly right. Well, we have a few more minutes left of the show. I want to mention Chile for a second, of course. That was unexpected and, you know, terrible. And one of the things that, you know, I want to give very high grades to is the way that the seismologist response. Um, I think even though the tsunami ended up to be sort of, um, you know, a a weak play after all this buildup, thank God, um, I read I read in several news outlets that you know the seismologists were criticized for being overly cautious. Well, hello, I mean, do you want another you know Katrina to happen? Do you want another you know Thailand to happen? I mean, of course they're going to be overly cautious, and I think that was exactly right. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you always get into a situation where uh, there are going to be Monday morning quarterbacks, and uh, and, and and you do have the potential. Uh, of, uh, you know, boy who cried wolf situations in the future. But the bottom line is the system worked the way it was supposed to. Uh, I think the authorities in Hawaii uh, did the right thing, and I think that, uh, and I'm 99% certain that if the exact same situation happened tomorrow, they would act in exactly the same way, as well they should. No, uh, good, good. I, I think we we both agree. We, we both agree. It's, um, you know, I... 
you know, really, really high marks for the caution. I mean, even though it became a little dramatic in watching, you know, everybody hanging out on the sea cliff, watching for, and, you know, oh, my God, the color of the ocean is changing a little bit, and did you see that? And the, you know what? It was good because everybody was prepared and safety came first in spite of the drama. So, um, is there, listen, as we come to the end of the show, um, Colby, is there anything else that you want to talk about or add um, on behalf of MWW or yourself, any messages, plugs? This is your your two minutes. My two minutes. Well, Cindy, uh, first of all, I appreciate you having me on the show. It's been uh, it's been a great experience. Um, uh, you know, there is so much going on in crisis right now that uh, that you you know clearly it's 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 great because you can see. Uh, both the mistakes that are made and the companies that do it well. I mean, at MWW, we work with companies uh, in crisis all the time, and uh, we're able to get pretty good results. Uh, we, uh, you know, I, I talked uh, earlier uh, about working with lawyers, and that's something that we actually do spend a lot of time on. Whenever a client gets into a, uh, a crisis situation that involves, some, you know, maybe it's that the company litigation or it's a uh, hostile takeover or bankruptcy, which we've seen quite a bit over the last number of years, uh, being able to communicate with stakeholders, the different kinds of stakeholders, you know, whether it's customers or board uh, members or uh, vendors or whoever, the folks that, uh, that a company has to maintain the trust and credibility of, you can't do that strictly through the legal process. There's a place for, uh, for PR professionals and crisis managers, and that's one of the things that, that I think MWW does extremely well. And uh, it's it's just great to have an opportunity to be able to chat about that a little bit on your show. Well, anytime, Colby. You've been a great guest. And, again, I really respect what you do and love the fact that, you know, I could sort of work with you um, on a global basis because even though I am a crisis management expert, um, you know, we are really sort of U.S.-based and sometimes we need to partner with somebody that has offices around the world, and you know I really am looking forward to doing some of that with you. So thank you for coming on to the show. We look forward to having you on again, and everybody have a great weekend. Thank you, Colby. Well, thank you, Cindy. It's been a real pleasure. Okay. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. I am an American idol.